Father Lord, we come before you right now in the name of your son, Christ Yeshua. We come broken and submitted, my God, to hear a word from you, to come to a better understanding of your character, your nature, and your attributes, my God. We pray, Father God, that you help us, my God, to grow in this understanding so that we can restore the intimacy, my God, that we had in the garden, to even go maybe even past that intimacy, my God, to be able to share in your glory and your holiness, my God, by way of fellowship with your son, Christ Jesus. We pray for forgiveness of sins. We pray, Father God, for the meeting of our basic needs, my God. We pray for the expanding of your kingdom, my God. We pray, Father God, for harmony in the spirit, my God. And we pray for the love of Christ to take complete control over every situation, circumstance. As we live this life, my my God, in the natural, though you were with us in the spiritual, until the day your son returns. And Father, we pray that you speak here today, that the ears are able to hear in the spirit and to grow in the spirit accordingly. We pray these things, my God, in Jesus' mighty name and the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. 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 Praise God. So yesterday we talked about some, some, some aspects of God's character, and we talked about his character having a nature of absolute love, and we talked about his character having a nature of absolute justice, and that those two had equal authority and equal place within the Lord, and that both needed to be satisfied. And we talked about his sovereignty, but his sovereignty is not really an element of his character. Sovereignty is an element of his nature or his or attributes of his nature, of his being. And so we're going to discuss another attribute of his being today to help us better understand God. See, we're not infinite. We're not all-knowing, all-seeing, all-being. We don't have omni-attributes except for where we're connected with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit bestows this upon us. So, but God is always operating in all the omniscience of his ability. And part of that omniscience is being all-knowing, all-seeing, all-being, always in all place and time, not limited by space and time. These are powerful, powerful attributes of his being. And these are attributes that we don't share. So it's hard for us to understand these attributes, and it's hard for us to understand how these attributes affect his character. For instance, he could be all loving and he could be all just, but if he's not all knowing, all seeing, all being, all present, all aware, not limited by time or space, then there would be places outside of his, his love. There would be places outside of his justice. But because you add these omni-attributes to his being, now you have to realize that him being all just and all loving now is all-encompassing because of his omnipresence. So I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to read another set of scriptures so that we can get to a point of understanding aspects of God's character and nature that go beyond our comprehension of our life experience. In other words, we don't experience these aspects. There are, there are aspects of God's nature and character and being that we do experience, right? And he gives us analogies. For instance, he used the marriage analogy to help us understand because we can get married. So he, uh, so to understand the level of intimacy in the spirit, he uses marriage as an analogy, this is something that we can share in understanding because we experience it, 
but we don't experience the absoluteness of justice. We don't experience the absoluteness of love. We don't experience the omniscience aspects of his person. And so there are these are some areas that are hard to comprehend and affect our reasoning. The Lord himself said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts as the heavens are higher than the earth. And it's hard for us to encompass that. So we end up fashioning a God of our own understanding. And then we fashion this God of our own understanding. And even though we know that we fashion this God of our own understanding, and we know that that's probably not completely God, we act like this God of our own understanding is completely God. And that's a mistake. So when we enter into this space of understanding his omniscient qualities, then we can start to fathom. We can't completely share in the understanding because we don't have an earthly re representation of it, but we can begin to fathom some things about him that would make him very different than us. So let's read. We're in Psalms chapter 139, and it says, Oh Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive, listen, my thoughts from afar, meaning before you even had the thought, he knew you were going to have that thought. You'd see, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Do you know that we are not even familiar with all our ways? That there are aspects of our being that we are not familiar with? You've ever heard this term about your blind side, the part of your being of which you're not consciously aware? But here is God having all these omnipotent, omnipotent qualities, able to search anywhere, to know everything, to perceive even the thoughts of your mind before you have them. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Before you even speak, God knows what you're going to say. You hem me in and bind and before. Be, excuse me, you hem me in. I said bind, but I meant behind. You hem me in behind and before, all powerful, all able, all capable, all sovereign. You have laid your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Meaning I can't completely relate to the fullness of your glory. I can't completely relate to the fullness of your being. See. Your eyes can only see so far, and you may have a certain aspect of your character, but whatever is beyond your sight is beyond the effect of your character. But there's nothing beyond God's sight, so everything affects his character. Think about the flood when he said man's thoughts were wicked all the time, and God was pained. God was grieved that he created man. Why would he be so grieved if he created man? Why don't he just turn his head and not see it? He can't do that because he's all sovereign and all knowing. When he says, I turn my face from you, he's saying that as an idiom in a figure of speech, meaning I'm going to ignore aspects of you. But even inside that ignoring, it doesn't mean he doesn't know it because he's all knowing, all seeing, all being in every place, in all places, at every time, in all time, at the same time. 
such thoughts are too lofty for me. Such, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. And where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I say, if, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be darkness to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, I want you to understand that in this omniscient being or attributes of his person, this affects the attributes of his character, his all love and his all justice. So now I'm going to read you another set of scriptures so that you can begin again to understand God. And what, what we're focusing on in this particular segment is understanding certain aspects of God and then how these aspects and personality traits of God affect you and how they would affect you as him being God, which you're not able to completely relate as a human being. Let's go to uh, the book of Romans. Now we've read this before. We're not going to labor at it. We're, we're going to stop at the most significant point and make our point. This is Paul talking about the struggle with sin. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring me life actually brought me death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Now, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who are doing it, but it is sin that is living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Stop there. See, when Adam sinned and lost the covering of the Holy Spirit and the perfect harmony with God's character and his attributes, for Adam had access to all the omniscience of the Father, how else could he name the animals? How else could he tend a garden he was never trained to do? How else could he prophesy to Eve without going to prophet school? It's because he had access to the omniscience of God. It doesn't mean he walked in the omniscience of God. It meant whatever God had assigned him to do, his omniscience weighed in to teach Adam or to counsel Adam in the moment by way of the Holy Spirit so that he could flow. So that he could flow in the omniscient wisdom of God. 
When Adam sinned and lost the clothing of the Holy Spirit so that he now saw his naked body and then was ashamed, what gave birth in that moment was the sinful nature. Now let's go back to the omniscience of God again. And now we can understand that the very presence of the sinful nature is an offense to God. You don't even have to commit an act of sin. You don't even have to do anything sinful. Just God's spiritual sensing, because that's part of his omniscience, of the presence of a rebellious element operating within your mortal members, which was never supposed to be there, is by its nature offensive to God. So you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to think an errant thought. The very existence of the sinful nature is an offense to God. It is not something that he can completely ignore. It is not something he can completely overlook. This is circumcision. We want to cut that out. This is the blood of Jesus. We want to cover over it. We want to sanctify it. We want to purify it. And no matter what you do, and no matter how much you wash, and no matter how powerful the launderer's soap, you can never be cleaned of it. Only a miracle of God can get rid of it. This is why he said to the rich young, when he told the rich young ruler, and he looked that he needed to give up everything he had and follow him, and he wouldn't do it and walked away, he said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, it'll be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The apostles were dumbfounded because rich men should be able to obey the commandments really well because they could buffer themselves with their wealth. It's the poor people that struggle with potentially stealing or deceiving or, or, or doing something wrong. This rich man could completely buffer himself and obey all the commandments. You mean this guy can't get into the kingdom? He said, well, then who can get into the kingdom? He said, with man, it is not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, let's now, in light of this, let's read another set of scriptures, which often are misunderstood. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're talking now about understanding God and our relationship to him. In Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in the third verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God doesn't want you walking around with your face dragging on the ground. He wants you ever conscious that he has to constantly deal with the presence of our sinful nature, yet he overlooks it for the sake of his son. Yet he overlooks it and, and he covers it with the blood. Now, covering something has a way, when you cover something in the natural, that means it can no longer be seen. But we said God was all seeing, so actually he can still see your sinful nature. He just doesn't credit it against you because of the blood of Jesus. See, we sometimes look at things from our perspective. So from our perspective, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. I'm sanctified and holy and, and made pure through Christ Yeshua. Bingo. We don't take into consideration that that does not change the reality of what God actually sees. He just created a judicial edict to protect you during this season until he ultimately totally purifies you by removing it from your being by a way of a miracle something only God himself could do, and put you in a glorified body. See, this is where the nation of Israel didn't understand. God gave them the law, and they thought that if they became legal eagles and just legally figured out ways to dominate the law, that somehow they'd be right before God. But God still found fault with the people and said, you trying to follow rules on the outside is not enough. I need to write my laws on your heart and on your mind. 
And so that's why the Pharisees failed. He said, you give a tenth of your mint and cumin. He says, you, 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 you do all these things, but you ignore the weightier matters of the law. And what he was referring to was the spiritual matters of the law. Charity, grace, love, compassion. He said, you should have obeyed the former without lacking in the latter. The Pharisees didn't understand that because they tried to create an image of what God was doing as God instead of following God. And so we need to be careful in Christ Jesus that we don't create an image of the religion of Christianity and follow that instead of in person following God. And so when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, this is what he's talking about. I'm ever conscious as Paul is ever conscious in the book of Romans chapter seven, he's ever conscious. Listen to the grief, the grieving of Paul's spirit. Listen to this. He says, and we're reading back in Romans seven, we're starting in the 21st verse. And it says, so I find this law at work with me. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within my members, waging war against the law in my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Now, there are other scriptures in which Paul said, as far as legalistic righteousness, I am flawless. Now, if as far as legalistic righteousness, you're flawless, then what is he talking about here? He's talking about the presence of the sinful nature. Though, as far as legalistic righteousness, my behaviors were flawless. I can find no flaw in my obedience to the 630 some odd edicts of the law. I can find no flaw in that obedience. But I find another work going on inside of my members, the sinful nature, that thought that God could see from afar, that thing, that word that he knew I would speak before I spoke it. The omniscience of God, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-being, all-conscious and all-aware at all times and every time at the same time, without separation in time or space, with complete sovereignty. Aspects of his person that are too lofty for us to totally understand. So who are we to judge God? Who are we to tell God what he can and cannot do, or what he should or should not do, or how he should or should not behave, when we don't even know what he knows, and he knows everything? Who are we to judge the judge? And so Paul, as he goes on, he says, in verse 24, listen to what he says. What a wretched man I am. Now, this is a man born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. As far as legalistic righteousness, flawless. As far as zeal, persecuting the church. As far as reputation, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He said, but I consider it all worthless that I might come to know Jesus. And here he refers to himself as a wretched man. And he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And so now when we jump back to Matthew chapter five and say, blessed are the poor in spirit, what he's talking about is a person who walks in the ever consciousness of his lack of absolute holiness due to the presence of a nature of sin. Blessed are those who mourn, 
mourn the distance between us and God. Now, you've heard some of you who've been in the ministry a while have heard me talk about this, mourn the distance between us and God. And of course, some uh, uh, religious person might say, well, there really is no distance between me and God because whatever was in the gap is covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen. That's true. But it doesn't change the Father's awareness of a rebellious force operating within your mortal members. Women, when you meet a man who you, who he tells you he loves you, but you think by you, you you're, in, you're you're seeing behind the scenes that there's some disdain he has for you. You kind of turn your eyes like, yeah, really, like right, right, because you can smell, you can sense that there's something else operating within his mortal members. That love is not completely sincere. There's some other aspects of his being. What do you want for real? Men, when a woman tells you that, oh, I love you and I want to be with you and you know and you get a sense that, wait, there's not some, there's some lack of agreement there between me and you. I don't know whether, that you what, what is she really after? And so, too, when God sees us, he sees the blood of Jesus. He covers us. He's perfect in all his ways. He doesn't lie. So he said you're covered by the blood of Jesus and by the facts of what he said, that is true. But it doesn't change what Paul said here in Scripture either. And this Scripture also cannot be nullified. We've got to be careful that we don't interpret Scripture with our own image of the God we created in our mind. And we start interpreting Scripture by the Scriptures themselves. And so mourning the distance is the ever-consciousness of the presence of the sinful nature. I am not yet returned to my original condition. That's right. Your original condition was in the garden, naked, without shame or fear, completely unaware of the fact that you don't have physical clothes. That's your original condition. And even in your born-again condition, you're not yet in your original condition. And so I mourn the distance, and I walk in meekness, and I hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I am merciful because mercy has been shown me. And I'm pure in heart, which means I admit my flaws before God. And I'm a peacemaker because I remember when me and God were at war and I was taking hits and God allowed me to sue for peace. So I'm always anxious to create an atmosphere in which others can sue for peace. And I rejoice when I'm persecuted for righteousness because this is exactly how they treated Jesus for bringing this message to the world. And now we begin to see the Beatitudes with a greater understanding. But the only way we can get that greater understanding is if we understand God. Father Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your special name among men. We ask that you continue to bless the saints. And again, may no one be grieved outside of the direction of the Holy Spirit. And may no one be in any way affected by this outside of the season that they're in in you and how they should be affected. May we shut down every counterfeit spirit. May we shut down every murmuring spirit that may try to distort this message and make something out of it that it was not intended. And may your glory and your majesty continue to follow the saints throughout the day until the end of the day where we rest again and get up the next day to pick up our cross. Bless us, Lord, and help us to stand strong in your peace. In Yeshua's mighty name and the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Saints.
great morning. You all too. Have a great day.